0: Hello, Bursting the Bubble listeners and followers. I wrote this blog post about six years ago, but again, I feel like it is still relevant. It is relevant largely to those who are new to grief, but because grief never really goes away, it changes over time, we can sometimes still feel like the proverbial elephant in the room when others know or don't know what we suffered through each day and week and year. This post is also meant to help those who are hoping to help others during their grief. So I hope it'll get everyone thinking today about this part of grief um, so that your healing can begin and continue. I stood awkwardly at the front door of my friend's home. I was too large to fit all of my unusually shaped mass comfortably on her porch so my back feet remained level with the ground and two steps down from my front feet. My long, bristly-haired, almost prehensile nose swung slowly and cautiously back and forth, trying to work up enough momentum and courage to tap the little round, lighted doorbell button. I stared at the illuminated circle, wondering if it would emit sparks if any part of my emotionally charged body made contact. Muffled sounds of conversation and laughter made me cringe a little, but I took a deep breath, curled up my trunk, squinted one eye, leaving one eye on the button and pulled all of my body, save the tip of my schnoz away from the door in case there was an explosion of sparks. Ding dong. Phew. No explosion. The door opened and my friend smiling broadly said, hi, welcome. Come on in. I pulled back my floppy ears, picked up the gift bag adorned with glittery alphabet blocks and baby rattles and stuffed with pink and purple tissue paper, stepped over the threshold and squeezed my backside through the open door. A few people glanced away from their food or conversation to see who had joined the party. Some recoiled in surprise. Some acted as if I was not even there. They had been mistaken about the door opening and admitting a newcomer. Others had that familiar look of pity mixed with uncertainty. I had grown accustomed to over the past few weeks. I clumsily maneuvered around tables, chairs, and clusters of partygoers. I tried to maintain focus on the back corner of the room, a spot where I thought I could seek refuge and blend in, into the conveniently grayish brown walls behind me. If only I can make it to that dark and unoccupied corner, stay for long enough to not seem rude and make my exit as inconspicuously as possible, I could steal away to my own home, my pictures of her, my husband, my sanctuary. I felt a tap on my left shoulder. I swiveled my massive head around. The hand remained, but increased its pressure. I didn't know her that well, only her name, really. But she smiled sincerely and said, I'm so sorry for your loss. I'm sure this kind of thing is hard for you. A strange sensation came over my entire body. I felt my nose retract into my face, my front feet of their own accord rose up from the floor and I watched my large barrel-like legs change from gray to tan and fingers sprout where callous nails used to be. I suddenly felt less burdensome and weighty. A single tear came to my eye as I said, I am sorry too. Yes, it is hard, but thank you. Anyone who has been around someone who grieves probably knows that grief and loss can be the metaphorical elephant in the room. We don't always know what to say or how to say something to a person who is grieving. So we sometimes ignore the obvious truth in fear we will make things worse. I continue to have difficulty knowing what to say to someone who grieves. Even though I am now much more aware of what worked and didn't work for me, I still know that each person is different and their grief changes depending on their relationship with the person or the thing that they lost. For example, my sister is still alive. And so I worry about how or what I might say might affect someone who lost a sibling. I think to myself, they know I haven't lost my sister. So what could they possibly benefit from my attempt at comfort? Or I sometimes think that if they know I lost my daughter and they lost, for instance, their grandma, they would think they shouldn't feel sad about their loss because theirs was not as great as mine. By the way, I have learned there is no way to put grief on a single spectrum because there are too many types. Some people, for instance, grieve all the years and the memories from the time they got to spend with their loved one. And some people, unfortunately, grieve the years they did not get to spend seeing their loved one, as we did with Samantha. However, I also know that saying or doing nothing is probably the worst thing you can do when you know someone is grieving. It only makes the person feel less comfortable while also feeling like they're making others uncomfortable by bringing a dark, sad element to a room or dynamic. So I was recently asked if I could write a blog about what types of words and actions were most helpful to me in the weeks and months following Samantha's death. And while I don't have all the answers because, while we received many good things from friends and family i'm sure there are many more words of comfort and offers of help that other people who grieve have received and that might be more applicable to their particular type of grief i would like to encourage you as my followers and listeners to add a comment provide examples of words and actions that were most meaningful to you so we all have a broader repertoire from which to choose of course some of these things are going to apply more generally to any type of grief. And some of these words or actions are more specific to the type of grief, you know, that someone like us experienced, like losing a child. But I hope that all of these things uh, can be of use to everyone who's listening. To get us started, here are some of the words and actions that were most meaningful to me in no particular order. One, when someone simply says, I'm so sorry for your loss, and then just listens as I talk. I would only open up to someone as much as I felt comfortable, depending on my relationship with that person, but just knowing someone cares is comforting. Catherine Woodowice, in her blog post, A New Normal, 10 Things I've Learned About Trauma, says if there were beatitudes attitudes for trauma, the first one would be, Blessed are those who give love to anyone in times of hurt, regardless of how recently they've talked or awkwardly reconnected or visited cross country or ignored each other on the Metro. The second one is asking more specific questions about our daughter and her illness. Because our life has turned to one of advocacy, since we lost our daughter to a treatable disorder, we take comfort in knowing we continue to educate others and perhaps save lives. It means our daughter is still having an impact on the world and on us. Of course, this may not apply to all deaths. Some people may not be as willing to talk about the cause of death. And that is okay too. They might be more willing as they get farther along in their grief journey. So it's best to just give them some space. Number three, telling stories about the loved one we grieve. Our own memories of a person can sometimes be limited to our relationship with that person. Or in my case, I was sometimes always wearing the mom blinders, seeing and worrying about mom things. Is that spot going to come out of her clothes? Is she developmentally behind the other children her age? What college will she attend? And who will she marry? And so on. So hearing how someone else interpreted something our loved ones said or did can shed light on something about them we may have missed or didn't appreciate at the time. In a way it brings the comfort of additional time and memories with our loved one. Number four, offering to do something specific, like mowing the lawn, starting a meal train, going out for coffee, etc. While it was nice to hear someone say, let me know if you ever need anything. It also still left the ball in my court. And as many of you know, grief already takes up so much of our emotional, physical, and mental lives. As it says in Psalm six verse six, I am worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. So providing as much help as possible during and in the aftermath of trauma is a relief to the bereaved. Number five, written words. Some people sent along devotionals or books on grief. Others sent song lyrics or Bible verses that they had used during their own grief. Not all of these were helpful because words can speak to each person in a different way, but I did love hearing from others and knowing they were thinking of us. And some of these words or songs didn't relate to me right away, but as the years have gone by, I have picked up the books or found the verses and they strike a chord with me that they didn't before. Number six, unexpected and delayed words and actions. As with most tragedies and traumas, People will rally around the person or family who was mourning immediately after the event, or perhaps for a few weeks or months following. But as time goes by, life does continue, and those people may have other grieving friends and family to tend to, or other obligations of their own, and understandably so, but it can leave the bereaved not feeling as much support as they once did. And this is normal, and I think something we need to expect as grievers. However, even though it has been almost, well, no, it's been 10 years since we lost Samantha, we still receive emails, texts, cards in the mail, phone calls from friends and family that remind us they are still thinking of us. This constant reminder of support also helps us to know that Samantha still lives on in ways other than the conventional one. So I think no matter what you choose to say or do for someone who grieves, remember to play to your strengths. If you are about action, then do something like cook or clean or mow the lawn. If you are more comfortable using written word like me, wait until you are at home at your computer or desk and send an email or a card. If you are a musician, write a song, record it and send them the CD. If you are a touchy feely hugger Start slow because you may not know if they appreciate that kind of physical affection, but a light touch on the shoulder or simply asking if it is okay if you give them a hug is a great start. I think you never know how much your words and actions can affect or touch someone. Perhaps it was the best thing they possibly could have heard during a particularly rough day. Doing nothing keeps that elephant large and in charge of everyone, both the griever and those around them. Once we say or do something for the mourner, we diminish that elephant, making it more manageable and comfortable and therefore conducive to the healing process.